It's a reminder, even as believers, our work and our walk in this world brings us into contact with things that can defile us, that can hurt us. And it's not necessary to come to the waters of salvation to be saved all over again, but it is necessary to come to Jesus that he might daily cleanse us. I believe of both our intentional and unintentional sins that we would be washed by the water of the word. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 15 as we continue to work our way through the gospel of John this year. Quite a bit of text to cover 27 verses. And so I want to get us right into the text. We find in the Gospel of John that John actually recorded seven feast days, seven miracles, seven I am statements. And this one's questionable, seven discourses. Some of the theologians call it the seven public discourses. And they do not include his final discourse in that, which was to his disciples, which we've been looking at. In chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, it includes three chapters, the last words of Jesus. I was thinking about that as we were worshiping, and even as we go through this chapter, there is some switching of themes that run through this chapter. And I just picture it as any of us, if we knew this was our last opportunity to speak with someone, to talk with someone, to teach someone, you probably would have a lot of things going through your mind of what you would like to say. It at times may seem like you're rambling from subject to subject, but we find that we learn of Jesus being that true vine in this passage. So I I titled this, The Vine and the Branches. And in this chapter, we find the last I am statement of Jesus of the seven I am statements. He began by saying, I am the bread of life. And then he declared, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now we discover that I am the true vine. He refers to that twice in verse 1 and also in verse 5. We find here in this final discourse, today we're looking at the vine and the branches. I broke it into four sections. We're going to see the vine and the vine dresser, verses 1 through 8, chosen and appointed, verses 9 through 17, 
hated and persecuted, verses 18 through 25, and then the spirit and truth, verses 26 and 27. Because there's a lot of texts, I want to go ahead and just open us up in prayer, and we'll get into the teaching of the Word of God. Father, I pray that you would be with us. Help us, Lord, to just disengage from some of the stuff that's going on in our lives and in this world. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us just to engage in your word, in you, and in the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us, Lord, to focus on Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll read for you verses 1 through 4, and we'll get into our teaching. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So here we find the true vine and the vine dresser. Jesus acknowledging, I am the true vine. I am the vine. His last of his seven I am statements. But also he tells us that his father is the vine dresser. It has been said that historically the gates of Herod's temple were made of bronze with golden vines running within the bronze gate. And perhaps we can just maybe imagine that Jesus and his disciples were walking by one of these gates through a gate. Maybe they were going by some vineyard when Jesus began this teaching as they were making their way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Israel, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 5.1, they were called God's beloved vineyard. But we discover that in their latter years as a nation, in Isaiah 5.7, it tells us that God came and he looked for justice but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. And because they were not obedient to walk in fellowship with God, in other words, they had no fruit of God in their lives, God would take them into the Babylonian captivity. And so we get this idea of those who do not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. As the vine dresser, God cares for the vine by taking away the branches that were not fruitful. I did a little reading on uh, vine dressing this week because I don't have a vineyard. I do have a vine in the backyard, and I realize that I haven't been taking care of my grapes. And I, I know what I should do now. And one of the things that I should do at the end of this season is just go in there and take away every dead branch. Just get rid of them because... They're not of any worth, any good to the vine itself. But also you want to care for the good vines. And the good vines are described as the brown vines and also the green shoots that are coming up. The green shoots will next year be that brown, healthy vine. That you care for them, that they can produce more fruits. And so God's going after his vine. He's tending it in such a way that the fruit would bear fruit but also more fruit by clearing away the gray dead branches. The vine dresser then can rightly care for the healthy branches. And thus, 
the pruning of these good vines, it allows for the vines to produce more and healthier fruits. And I got to tell you, we don't like it when we think of this uh, spiritual pruning that goes on in our lives. When God comes in and starts cutting away the things that have no worth or value from the eternal perspective. We may not like it, may not like going through those seasons, but they definitely are seasons that I've been able to look back on in my life and see that God has used them to produce more and healthier fruit in my life. Then he said, you're already clean because of the word which I spoken to you. So I was reading about the cleaning of grapes, and it's not necessarily that the uh, vine dresser goes out there with a bucket of water and a sponge, and he's wiping down every uh, branch of his grape vine. What he's doing is going in, and he's already cut away the dry branches, but now he goes to the base of the vine itself with a pocket knife, clear away all the dead bark that was on the vine itself. He stripped away all that dead bark that he would expose, not cut into the green, but just expose the healthy side of it. And for two reasons he, he did this, to prevent insects from getting in and building a nest perhaps down at the base, or infection or disease to get in on the plant, to allow it to be a healthy plant. And they said that this is like an every other year process. It's necessary to do in the vineyards to make sure that you continue to have fruitful vines. And we find that the Lord, he washes us. It reminds us in chapter 13 where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And remember Peter, he he said, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Peter said then, My hands, my feet, my head, I'm all in, Lord. And he went on to say, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. It's a reminder, even as believers, our work and our walk in this world brings us into contact with things that can defile us, that can hurt us. And it's not necessary to come to the waters of salvation to be saved all over again, But it is necessary to come to Jesus that he might daily cleanse us. I believe of both our intentional, unintentional sins, that we would be washed by the water of the word. But also, not just the cleansing, the clearing away, the pruning, it's abiding. In verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's necessary to abide in Jesus. Test it on any plant, tree, vine that we find on the church property. Cut the branch off the tree or cut the branch away from its vine and it will die. You cut it away from its source of life and it dies. And that is what Jesus is telling us. In order to live fruitful, productive lives, we need to stay abiding in Jesus. John 8, 31 and 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And only by abiding in Jesus can we become these fruit-bearing branches. But every branch should abide. He says in verses 5 through 8, verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. You read through chapter 15, you notice there's a progression building up. 
in this chapter. He first said in verse 2, he said, referring to those branches that bears fruit, and then he said, more fruit, and now he says, much fruit. He's given this idea of not only quantity, but quality of fruit. The Lord is working in our lives that we can have both quantity and quality of fruit. But without Jesus, we can do nothing. It reminds us of Paul who said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then he says, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me and he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Those who do not abide, they're cast out, they're dried up, and they're burned in the fire. Now we have a burn pile up there that has been around for a number of years. And right now it's got some branches. They're waiting to be burned. We're letting them dry out. And it's a continual process here on the church grounds of just tending the property. It reminds us that there's this continual process even in our lives. I was thinking about this burning up, not necessarily as uh, burning up of unbelievers, because this is what verse 6 is referring to. The unbelievers, those who are not producing fruit, godly fruit, he casts them out, he burns them up. But even as believers, we can get burned up in life. One way that we can get burned up in life is taking on too many responsibilities, which we describe as being what? Burned out. It's what Jesus said to Martha in Luke 10, 41, when she came to Jesus complaining about Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Martha was burning herself out, worried and troubled about many things. We can also watch things get burned up in our life. Watch our misdirected dreams get burned up. Misdirected when we're focusing on the things of this world and no longer focusing on the things of Christ. It's not that we can't have things in this world, but we need to walk in such a way that we know that even with the stuff that the Lord blesses us with, that God is being glorified. And so sometimes we can watch those misdirected dreams get burned up. It reminds us that one day, 2 Peter 3.10 tells us, and the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and its works that are in it will be burned up. We need to make sure that our works, our fruitfulness, is there for the glory of God, that which will never be burned up. Or, thinking about burning, how about let's be a burning flame? A burning flame of help to others. Like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Then he says in verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Here it is again. The Lord telling us in this final discourse of asking anything. I'd said the first time we mentioned this in chapter 14 that maybe I'm guilty of not asking enough. But when we ask, it is asking in such a way in the context of this chapter that we would be fruit-bearing, such a way that brings glory to God in our lives. These ask-anything prayers 
point to God being glorified, as it did in John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That God would be glorified. And it's through these ask anything prayers, you know, we get to participate in the godly pursuits. We get to have spiritual fruits in our lives. You know, we've had this out on the four-year hutch since the family camp. Pray for three people, and it just simply has a, a prayer list here where you write down the names of three people. And then it goes on to say three people that you have an opportunity to speak to, three people that you can invite to church, ask God to save them, ask God to grant them repentance, ask God for boldness to witness to them. Well, that's a good prayer request to have, to have three people that could be family members, friends, co-workers, people you go to school with, that you can pray for them, but pray in such a way that you're looking to speak to them about Jesus. But we get to participate, and we know that this is the will of God, because 2 Peter 3, 9 reminds us that the will of God is that all should come to repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. When believers live fruitful lives, it brings glory to the Father and to the Son, that we would bear fruit, not just some fruit, but much fruit. And we'll see later on fruit that remains. Isaiah 60, 21 tells us, Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. God wants us to work in such a way that it brings glory to him, not to us, but glory to God. And the only way that we can do that properly, we must abide in Jesus to have fruitful lives that glorify God. Second, we discover that we're chosen and appointed in verses 9 through 17. Let's first look at verses 9 and 10. Abide in Jesus' love. You see this other theme in this chapter is that of abiding. Abiding in Jesus. Verses 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. We found last week as we began our study, Jesus saying in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then John saying in John 14, 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and that the Father has given me commandments, so I do. Jesus had set this example, we see it in chapters 14 and 15, that he was obedient, keeping the commandments of his Father. And he's telling us that I'm doing this for an example for you, that just as I have kept my Father's commandments, so too should you keep, keep my commandments, that you would abide in my love just as I abide in my Father's love. It's really talking about the relationship that Jesus had with his Father, being displayed through his, his works and his word as he came to teach, but also the relationship that we can have with Jesus 
as we are able to walk in his word, his commandments, but also able to do the works that he's called us to do. John 8, 29 says, He who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. That's a pretty great example. I don't know if we can say concerning our work and walk in this world that I always do those things that please Jesus. But Jesus has given that example for us to abide in his love. We must keep his commandments. And we think about the, the commandments of God, and maybe one of the arguments when you witness with others is that there's too many rules. And we think that these things are burdensome. I don't want to walk as a Christian because you guys got way too many rules. And yet John reminds us in 1 John 5, 3 through 5, he says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And he who has overcome the world is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's through our faith that we're able to walk in fellowship with Jesus and with the Father. And it's through our faith that we're able to, in the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I would add, that he helps us to walk in the ways of Jesus, to keep his commandments. He does this not that we would be burdened, but that we would have joy. Verse 11, that our joy would remain. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy should be full. I was thinking about joy, being joyful, being happy. We know that that can change pretty suddenly in this life. You can be joyful, you can be happy, and then very sad and sorrowful the very next moment. These things kind of come and go. So what the Lord is talking about here is not focusing on earthly things, but on heavenly things. Otherworldly minded, we might say. Jesus is speaking about a joy that is not of this world. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul specifically talking about the church in Thessalonica. He said, when the Lord comes again, having you standing there with us, that is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. We can find this joy in doing the work of Jesus on this earth. But it's not just a joy that is in us, it's a joy that fills us, remains in us, and is to fill us. In Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This fullness of joy that the Lord talks about, it's nothing that you can receive from this world. As I said, happiness, joy in this world, it can be very fickle concerning the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. You can be driving along in your car one moment and smash it up the next moment. You could be whistling and singing to one of those songs from the 1960s that you know every word and lyric to. As Lily often laughs at me because I, I know those old songs. And then it can go away so quickly. 
You know, the joy that Jesus is describing here is looking past our circumstances and it's fixing our eyes upon Jesus. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, there we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him, it wasn't the cross that was connected with that joy. He was looking beyond the cross. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy set before him was the redemption, our redemption, that was made possible through the cross. His returning to the Father through his death, burial, and resurrection. He looked past the sufferings of this world that he might return to the glories of heaven, but also to do the work of his Father. We should have such joy setting our eyes on the things of heaven. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.